So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day, hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. On to part two of the best of the decade, Michael. We're picking up with official soundtrack. What do you have for the best OST of the decade? This was very, very tough, but I ultimately went with Nicholas Bratel's score for If Beale Street Keep Talking. Jenkins uh it's one of the only movies where like only 60 seconds into the movie I was almost already ready to cry just because of the score already being like so emotional and moving the strings that start right off the bat like just immediately had me um it's a sound that defines the word swoon yeah yeah uh Nicholas Bertel also did Moonlight love that score as well I'm just personally partial to this one, Johnny Greenwood was tempting as well um, for multiple films. I think he's also one of the great composers of the decade. Um, but this is uh, definitely one of my personal faves um, from start to finish. Beautiful. Love it. That so is Nicholas beautiful. Fortel. What is your favorite OST? My favorite is not that, but that was on my runner-up list for sure. My favorite OST is Mikachu's Under the Skin. Starring Scarlett Johansson, directed by Jonathan Glazer. It is an eerie score. Um, it it does almost all of the heavy lifting of keeping you invested in understanding the tone of the film itself, because it is such an alien on Earth um, film. Um, there's not too much specific to get into here because we might be having a more thorough discussion of Under the Skin a little bit later down the road. So um, what is your number five of the decade, Michael? All right. Back to features. My number five feature length film of the decade is The Master. How did I get down here? You're acting aggressive because you drank too much alcohol. What do you do? I am a writer, a doctor, a nuclear physicist, a theoretical philosopher. But above all, I am a man. 
just like you. <laughs> From writer-director Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, stars Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman, Amy Adams, among others. Um, Jesse Plamons. Oh, man. Is he in this? I forgot. Rami Malek. I remember Rami Malek vaguely. Jesse uh, Plemons is the son. Who doesn't okay, believe in Philip Seymour Hoffman? Plemons and Philip Seymour Hoffman, that's a great father-son pair. Mm-hmm. I like that. Uh, yeah, this is not one I've had the chance to revisit uh, super recently for the podcast. I've seen it twice. The very first time I saw it, I remember so clearly seeing it at Pacific Place. Didn't know who Paul Thomas Anderson was at the time. Didn't really know what this was about. I just liked Philip Seymour Hoffman. That was, like, the appeal. Hot take. And I did not really care for it. I was like, that was weird. This, I was my tastes have evolved a great deal. That was not a a home run for me. I remember the friend I brought with me. She was like, "That was weird," and I'm uncomfortable, and I don't like it. And then I saw it like five years later, and and had you know a more than a 180. Completely loved it. That doesn't make any sense. More than a 180. That's back to where we started. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, but very much came around on it. Uh, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix plays. Uh, a pervert with PTSD. <laughs> that is right. He's a veteran returning home from World War II. Um, he kind of falls under the sway of this charismatic cult-like leader um, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, it's just the idiosyncrasy of it, the the distinctiveness of so many scenes. One of my favorite scenes of the decade of just movies, period, is that scene where they're doing what the Hoffman's character calls processing where he's sort of grilling Joaquin Phoenix's character with these um questions to I kind of forget what his are you talking about the when they're sitting down is. at the desk drinking the the uh alcohol or are you talking about when he's walking back and forth between the window and the wall I don't remember which one they're doing it's where he's you know saying like do your past uh transgressions bother you or something like that. You know, he's asking him these series of questions. Yeah, I think that's um, the oh, first oh, one. Oh, oh. I guess he's sitting down at the desk. There are multiple scenes of processing, mm-hmm. but this is, I remember most vividly, like the very first one yeah, where yeah. Walking Phoenix is sort of like resistant to it and then he sort of um, is is swept up in it. Um, it's definitely my favorite Walking Phoenix performance. It's just, he just masters that um, kind of guy who's partly broken and therefore vulnerable to someone charismatic like this. I love Philip Seymour Hoffman in it. Um, and it's just, uh, voice. It's just how distinct this movie feels, um, in its kind of authorial, um, vision, um, that's just the mark of like a great writer director to me. Um, it's weird, but in all the best ways, um, yeah, love it. The Master from 2012. Currently streaming on Netflix, right now at least. Check it out. My number five is in fact a limited series stitched together from three films uh, made in Sweden. This is the Millennium series, also taken from its namesake, the Millennium series from Stieg Larsson. Uh, The girl... The Dragon Tattoo, The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest, uh, The Girl Who Played with Fire. Those are the three books that this covers. Um, it stars Numi Rapace. It has Michael Nyquist um, playing the secondary role. Um, this is one of the greatest uh, detective, true crime, 
style dark genre um thrillers that i've ever seen um we'll forget about the decade technically the films were made in the 2000s but the limited series was edited and released in the 2010s um that is also the year in which it won the 39th primetime emmy award for limited series um or best tv movie um since that's the shared category um it is truly remarkable how numi is the character um the two turns that we got from rooney mara and from numi um playing this character of lisbeth slander are some of the greatest um roles for women to play um as far as a dark detective um in the vein of you know somewhere between james bond batman and a serial killer i i don't quite know how to dig into a series as broad and as um non-defined as this um it's a gangster detective serial killer bondage motorcycle racer everything it's it's all of it you you said that you'd seen the original um films would you agree with my genre bending all of those adjectives i think are very appropriate yes, yes. oh in the word latex also relevant yes. yes um so i i would encourage anyone to take a look um it's certainly not for everyone but if you've ever wanted to watch limited series and all swedish for like nine hours there's a lot worse you could do how about a quick quick hot take on the fincher film and the one with claire foy the one with claire foy is terrible foy is fine but the film sucks terribly the um the girl with the dragon tattoo from fincher is awesome but did very poorly and it has a great score um and i wish that rooney mara would have gotten to have a full arc so that we could have numi and rooney with full arcs but me too that's always been a bummer for me i like that movie um on to the best actor and actress of the decade michael how do you want to start um i could really go either way you have a preference i do not i like both of my choices all right i'll do would you like to go first i can if you want me to yeah go for it all right i will start with my favorite actress of the decade my favorite actress of the decade who you raised more than one eyebrow at is jennifer lawrence that's right you just don't see it but She's got five films that I can't see anyone else playing her roles in. Um, American Hustle, The Silver Linings Playbook, Joy, Mother, and Red Sparrow. Those five films I can't imagine anyone else playing her specific role with the same level of performance coming out. I could see Scarlett doing Red Sparrow. Um, it, it would be different. It would be okay um but the the other four films i can't really imagine any other performer carrying especially not mother which is definitely one of the roles that cemented her um for me but the i have recently gone back and and rewatched joy and silver linings playbook and american hustle and those films that i didn't really care for the first time i watched them besides joy on second and third viewing really have a second life for me as the performers um, take over that 
that film. So um, I, I'm pretty passionate about Jennifer Lawrence, and I think that she's one of the most distinctive um, modern Hollywood actresses that we have. Who is yours? Pick. I raised my eyebrow, not at Jay Law specifically. It's more the movies themselves. Completely with you on her specifically. Okay. I approve. I approve this message. Uh, the actress I wanted to talk about that came immediately to mind was Carrie Mulligan. Um, three roles that really stand out to me. One is uh, in a movie I don't think we've ever talked about on the show, which is Mudbound. Um, which I really liked her in. Um, I already talked about uh, Inside Lewin Davis. I love her in the in her supporting role there. Um, and now you're going to say Wildlife. Uh, absolutely that is um one of my favorite performances of the decade is in uh paul dano's wildlife where uh she plays a woman named Jeanette who's uh married to a man played by played by jake gyllenhaal and their relationship is their marriage is crumbling and the boy their one son is sort of watching it fall apart um and yeah i i just cannot even though i i did not love everything about that movie i i so 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 responded to that performance and how much life there was in that role um and that lead role combined with this supporting role in inside lewin davis just shows this i don't know kind of strength or resilience that i just i really connect with um and inside lewin davis um it's just so satisfying to hear her tear into Oscar Isaac's character. And, you know, she'll do it with like her jaw clenched, just ripping into him, calling him an asshole and whatnot. It's just, it's funny, but also kind of scary at the same time. Um, and in wildlife, it's, um, I don't know. It just, she just has it, you know, that, that thing that just feels real and true and kind of raw. And, um, I, I, I just, it just really works for me. Uh, so Carrie Mulligan. You didn't even pick the most famous role that she had this decade or the best movie she was in, which is obviously The Great Gatsby. I haven't even seen that movie, but that did come oh. to mind. I almost called that out, but I was like, I haven't even seen it. So You might like it. You might be weird like me. I really like Boss Lerman's The Great Gatsby. Um, but Drive, you know, I, that's I, where she I, got her, her big... Um, respect from the filmmaking community 100 percent. i just don't love that movie um uh, even though we're talking about specific things like acting i just can never completely divorce it from my interest in the movie overall hmm. um i don't i don't particularly love that movie um and I, I mean i enjoy it but that's that's not one of the roles that jumps out to me in the same way as these other ones also reteaming of oscar isaac and carrie mulligan you know that's right i actually i forgot he was in that yeah mm-hmm. um all right, so we are on to best actor of the decade. I have ultra confidence in this one. My selection is Christian Bale. I had a pretty good feeling it might be Christian Bale. Yes, there are very few things that an actor could do to be better than Christian Bale. The only thing you could do is maybe be Daniel Day-Lewis. And if you can't be Daniel Day-Lewis, then you have to be Tom Hardy. And the thing about both those guys is that they're in a lot less great movies per capita. So I went to go with uh, Christian Bale because he was in Ford vs. Ferrari this year. 
He was in Hostiles last year, um, for me at least. He was in The Dark Knight Rises. He's everywhere. He was in Vice. um, One for Vice as well. This is just my favorite actor, essentially, having an incredible decade. um, And I just love... I mean, Out of the Furnace came out this decade. Um, He lost all that weight, just like he did for The Machinist for that role. Um, He put a you know the cap on the dark knight rises um it's it's just it's fucking christian bale man (laughs) yeah whenever i like christian bale a lot whenever i i think of him i remember something uh the writer mark harris said about uh just how different it is when he you know puts on makeup or a suit like he did in vice and how he just uses all that baggage rather than you know let it sit on him there's just mm-hmm. something about he kind of he wields all those wigs and costumes and you know really um kind of big things that you know or his, his fake eye in the big short yeah yeah um it always feels like he's kind of you know uh in control of those he's not letting those kind of uh wear him or something like that yeah i like him one of my favorite actors of the decade is Ethan Hawke. I don't know that that is an unpopular choice by any means. That was one of my choices, but when I looked at all the bangers Christian Bale had put out, I just I like had it. to select him. Yeah, the three big roles that came Before to mind. Before Midnight. Before Midnight, Boyhood, and First Reformed. As well as, I mean, there have been many supporting roles. He's had a busy decade, I feel. Yeah, he was great um, in Maudie. Mod, yeah. Um, oh, wait, Sally Hawkins, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, got it. Um, yeah, I mean, these are all um great performances. I don't know that I have a ton to add here. He just always works for me. Um, I, I buy what he's doing. Um, it, it isn't over to the top, it isn't minimalism, it is kind of um. A very kind of true-to-life kind of performance style he has. It's never big. It's never really, really restrained. This isn't a Casey Affleck kind of guy who also kind of came to mind. I really like Casey Affleck. Mm-hmm. But, Great decade. Um, you know, the way he, he speaks and carries himself, he just feels like a real dude who talks at a pretty regular rate. He isn't too fast. He isn't too slow. He just has kind of an everyday feel about him, but he's just um, credible. He's always super, super credible and memorable. Um and he had a good decade. So, Ethan Hawke. Sure did. I like it. On to number four. What is your number four favorite film of the decade, Michael? It is the 2016 film Patterson. I go through trillions of molecules that move aside to make way for me, while on both sides, trillions more stay where they are. This is Patterson bus 23. I have a situation. Damn thing could have exploded into a fireball. (laughs) (laughs) From director Jim Jarmusch, starring Adam Driver. He's coming up a lot. I think you're onto something here. I think I might be. Uh, Adam Driver plays a bus driver named Patterson. He plays a poet, sir. I'm getting there. Who happens to wield a bus? <laughs> that is that that is exactly right. He is a poet first, a bus driver second. Uh, he lives in the town of Patterson, New Jersey. Uh, he is um, 
married uh, to a, um, a woman played by Golshifta Farahani. Um, has and kind they of a, have a abusive dog. They do. There is a villain in this movie, and his name is Marvin. He is an English bulldog, and he is evil. Uh, it's yeah. I mean, the cliche might be that it's kind of about the poetry of everyday life, which to me sounds way too precious. This is like that suggests to me things like flowers and butterflies. I mean, this is about um, the beauty and things that you would see if you walked through Patterson. New Jersey or, you know, just any kind of small American town like this or, yeah, um, it, it, it is about simple quotidian things like waking up next to the person you love and um, the rhythm of daily routine um, and how you express that. What I always really like about this movie is that um, Patterson, Adam Driver's character, is a poet and his wife is an artist herself and they are such completely different artists he is private he is quiet he is sort of introspective with his poetry he doesn't want to copy it he doesn't really want to share it until maybe it's done we hear him working on a love poem i expect that would be shared eventually whereas she has five different interests going on at any one time um we hear her recounting her dreams every morning and then when she's awake she's talking about all the dreams she wants to pursue they're such different people but they're um but but they love each other for their for their differences and yet they have this kind of uh i don't know spiritual kinship that just feels very very normal and every day at the same time it's not um too up in the clouds um Mm -hmm. it feels very very grounded but um kind of profound with some of the techniques it uses like where images are kind of getting superimposed on top of each other and there's this kind of spacey um synthesizer score that just gives it this kind of ethereal feel as we're just watching him write his poetry and think of it and drive and get his beer at the end of the day and uh stumble on things like method man wrapping in his laundromat um yeah it's just a very, very easy movie to uh, slip into the rhythm of. I love it. Patterson. Yeah, it's easy listening, if ever a movie was. Word. All right. My number four of the year is also a artistic film featuring many um, layered fade-in, fade-outs with a, a kind of a technical electronica score. And that is Jonathan Glazer's Under the Skin. Here we are again. Starring Scarlett Johansson um, as our title Black Alien. Um, and I just had the pleasure of rewatching this film this morning to cement this on my list. And it hasn't moved one iota since I put it here about a year and a half ago. Um,. I saw this film originally at the uh, Sif Cinema Egyptian. Good place um, to see it. And I... It's one of the most intimate films that I've ever seen. Uh, I recently found out that it is an adapted screenplay, which I had no idea about. um, But it makes a lot of sense. um, And it definitely explains a lot of the questions that I had um, when I read kind of what the book was about um 
So in, in the film, she doesn't visibly poison anyone, but in the book, she is poisoning these people and bringing them back to um, her planet in some way or another so that they could feed on their flesh. Um, and that is essentially what happens is uh, Scarlett Johansson goes around England in a white van and she picks up men who fall for her feminine wiles, as most men in England would fall for her feminine wiles. Um, and then she takes them back to her flat and she undresses before them and they undress and follow her. And right when they kind of take off their last stitch, they begin walking in this black liquid and then they become submerged in it. At which point the liquid begins to soften their skin, from what I can tell. And then when a new deposit is made, the meat and the bones inside the epidermis of the previous person captured are uh, extricated by some capacity. <laughs> that was vivid. Um, it is a brutal scene that displays it. it. Um, it's it's quite unnerving. Um this is one of the great science fiction films of the decade and dare say the century. Um, it is totally alien, but also completely approachable visually um, from a human context. The ending is deeply sad and um, kind of physically hurtful. To you, the viewer, even though you've been watching your own species be slowly led into its own death um, in a trap, um, you don't want to see this alien have attempted rape and then be burned alive. Um, especially when she removes her own head from herself and you see those black eyes. Um, for some reason, this time around, I, I actually had more compassion for the alien um, when she wasn't Scarlett Johansson. Pro alien. Yeah, yeah, it was. It, it's <laughs> interesting. <laughs> um, so I, I really love this film. Um, that's Under the Skin from Jonathan Glazer. What is your number three directorial debut, Michael? My number three directorial debut is Columbus. Yeah. You like it here? I'm really interested in architecture. Yeah, I hear this town is quite the Mecca. There were nights that my mom just wouldn't come home at all. Mom, it's me. Call me back. How long do I stay here? As long as it takes. You're his son. I want to show you something. This was one of the first modernist banks in America. Who are you? <laughs> God, shut up. I'm just trying to tell you about this building. Why aren't you at the hospital? He was never interested. You don't want him to get better? Maybe not. From 27? Or from 2017? What did I say? I said 27. In 2017. I was for sure that'd be your number one. Really? 
It's Koganata, bro. I'm pretty different, indifferent to the order of these things. It's Koganata. Uh, yeah, I still them. think if you say Koganata to most people, they're going to ask, is that a band? Is that a dish? Mm-hmm. It is a director. Uh, this is his debut feature film. Uh, I think prior to this, um, he had made some pretty cool uh, video essays for Criterion. Highly recommended. Those are very interesting. Um, this film, Columbus, stars Haley, Lou Richardson, John Cho, Parker Posey in a supporting role. Um, it's kind of a walk and talk drama set in a small American town that's renowned for its architecture. Architecture um, that Haley Lou Richardson's character is very much uh, fascinated with, and um, John Cho has uh, returned to this town because his father is ill, and they uh, meet and their two characters strike up a friendship. Um, and uh, it's most um, noteworthy for how um, Koganada incorporates the architecture of the town into the form and composition of the film. It's just an incredibly well-composed and framed and just beautiful-looking film uh, because of his eye for all of, the, all of these uh, buildings and structures and how he does that um, in, in just really cool ways. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Haley Lou. Richardson, I think she's great here as as well as Friend of John the show. Cho. Right, pretty much. Her and Chris Messina. Of course. And yeah, I think it's yeah, um kind of a modest film, but one that has very much stuck with me. I I feel like it's kind of gone a little quiet. Um I, I haven't heard as much about it, even though it, it was well very well received when it came out. Um I think there is something to the uh to the A twenty four effect where it's I don't think this was A24, but these kinds of indies, I think, can can sometimes get dwarfed by the the distributors with better, uh, who are better e- equipped from a marketing perspective. Um, I think this is a, a special debut, and he's got one coming out this coming year. So That's right, he does. We'll see what he's got. What is your number three directorial debut? My number three directorial debut is S. Craig Zoller's Bone Tomahawk. Good evening. Civilized towns. You look a man direct in the face when you talk to him. This isn't comfortable. Oh, it's not supposed to be. Here's a uh, situation. Serious. Mrs. O'Dwyer was abducted. She is my everything, and those savages have got her. God knows what they're doing to her in every second. They'll be delayed. You know who did this? They don't have a name. How many of them do you think there are? It won't matter. You have no chance against any number. Starring Kurt Russell, Patrick Wilson, Matthew Fox, Richard Jenkins, Lily Simmons, David Arquette, Fred Melamed. I could go on. I could go on, but I won't. Big cast. It's written and directed by S. Craig Zoller, um, the new, if you will, Quentin Tarantino. Um, he is the king of practical effect in Hollywood for gore right now. Um, since this debut in 2015, he's released three films, Assault on Cell Block 99 and also Last Year's Dragged Across Concrete. I think that in those three films, he's very quickly established himself as one of the most promising filmmakers uh, of the 2020s. And I think that when I was looking at, you know, what 
how do I want to choose my directorial debuts? Because there were so many, you know, the fact that, I mean, spoiler alert, I didn't pick a Greta Gerwig film called Lady Bird. Um, so I, I think what I was looking for was, um, something distinctive that, that offers, um, a, a continuous voice in film that, um, we either didn't have or is so original, um, in a non-original way that, that it has immense value. And I think that S. Craig Zoller, um, is just that wholly original voice, not only as a, as a writer or director, but just as a, in general storyteller, um, and the types of casts and crews that he's assembling are incredible. So Bone Tomahawk, one of the most brutal films I've ever seen, um, is my number three directorial debut. Great pick. Is this your favorite of his so far, you think? No, I think that Dragged Across Concrete is my favorite. That's number one. Yeah. Three pretty solid hits. He's got bangers. What is your number two? My number two debut is The Fits. From 2015, which is by Anna Rose. How do you Holmer. even describe this film as as a genre? Right, like it's a 42 minute film or something like that, right? Oh no, it's it's like 72. I think it's over. Oh, is it 72? I remember short. it being super short. It is brief. It is a yeah, quick 72 or so. I, I want to say, um, uh, yeah, it's uh, a coming of age story of sorts, played by a young actress, uh, uh. Royalty Hightower is the actress's name. Um, she's a young girl who um, spends most of the movie at her local community center. Um, she's interested in boxing, which she kind of does with her brother, who she learns from. But um, the local dance troupe, her dance team that also practices in the center, piques her interest. And she has... Uh, um, she takes a stab at joining the team, and as she does so, this weird um, affliction starts spreading throughout the community center where different girls are having these episodes that kind of send them into a daze, and it's sort of unexplained what exactly it is that might have uh, might be spreading throughout these young women. Um... And it, it is uh, uh, very formally accomplished. I think it's just a, a really um, well-directed uh, film. Um, it's a, a really distinctive look at a um, little girl trying to uh, become a part of a group. Um, <laughs> what young women maybe do, maybe do to feel included. Um and there's a terrific score with some horns. One of the most uh, memorable scenes is where she is um, practicing a routine on this bridge on a highway overpass. And the dance she's doing is kind of uh, melding both her boxing routine and the dance. It's some kind of combination of the two and the score with the horns is playing at the same time. And it's kind of this transitional moment where she's maybe coming into her own a bit um yeah it's it's very 
kind of eerie but um uh terrifically it's terrific looking um with lots of purple um great just great colors um it's a cool movie fits that is cool all right my number two directorial debut of the decade is a little bit more well known than the fits just slightly it's robert eggers the witch What went we out into this wilderness to find? Leaving our country, kindred, our father's houses. For what? For the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Starring Anya Taylor-Joy and a goat. That's it. That's that's all there is. Just Black Phillip and Anya Taylor-Joy. Um, this film, I think, is one of the first times I went to a cinema and just didn't know what the hell, you know? Like, I just, I didn't know anything. Um, it kind of broke conventionality rules. Uh, most of the period pieces I'd seen, I think, like most people, are... A little bit more uh, cookie cutter, more Steven Spielberg-y, more Martin Scorsese-like. So when I was confronted with something that was just in and of the jargon of itself, without any, you know, white text at the bottom telling me what I should actually know before this film starts, um, it transported me to, in a way that that very few films ever have, um, and. That was really, really meaningful for me. Um, I I think I saw this once again at the Egyptian. Um, and it is one of those types of films where you... How, however you felt about it after your first watch is probably how you're always going to remember it. No matter how many subsequent watches you have. Um, the first watch of this type of a horror film... Um, will last with you forever kind of similar to i think how under the skin lasted for me um so um i won't go into too much about it it's a um lurking thriller um it is very uncomfortable and dark but very humorous and not at all clear what's happening at any point in time or if there is even a witch um until the end at which point you kind of still don't know if you can trust the director at this point um so that's my number two the witch starring on taylor joy from director robert eggers we're staying in that same kind of vein for my number one which is hereditary <laughs> My mother was a very secretive and private woman. It's Grandma. You know you were her favorite, right? Even when you were a little baby, she wouldn't let me feed you because she needed to feed you. She was a very difficult woman, which maybe explains me. I recognize you from your mother. What? 
Sometimes I swear I can feel them in the room. She isn't gone. From Ari Aster. Definitely was on my top 10 list from 2018. I think it was in my top five. Uh, it's a horror movie starring Tony Collette, Gabriel Byrne, um, a couple of younger actors as well whose names are escaping me at the moment. Um, I believe who, Matt Wolf was one of Matt them. Matt Wolf, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Very good. I like him a lot. Um, I feel like this kind of came out of nowhere. I think this was a Sundance premiere um, that just just kind of blew up. I remember oh, the that art. summer it came out. Do you remember mm-hmm. the art? Like going to the theater like two months before mm. it came out and they had all those like big ass posters that were like, fuck, this movie's weird. Yeah, I think they're all four standing there kind of in like a family portrait kind of uh, position. But there was also the one of just the house as the oh, diorama. I could I could see that as well. Yeah, um, yeah I, I love, love that. Um, uh, uh trick he's kind of doing of showing us these you know dioramas that tony collette's character is working on and um the editing to snap us from a shot of those dioramas to the house itself where this family actually lives it's it's so great because this is all about a family kind of being manipulated by an unseen force just like she's kind of toying with these dioramas i just i think that is just all fits so neatly uh without being too neat um I think it's super scary. I'm being bolted to my seat. It still chills me watching it a second time. Uh, I think Tony Collette's great. And yeah, he just knows how to tighten the screws and uh, just just keep you locked where you're sitting. He's just got control as a director. I, I, I am a big fan. He's got it. He does. That was hereditary. All right, my number one directorial debut of the decade is Dan Gilroy's Nightcrawler. Don't change the world. You gotta call the cops. And we will, at the right time. But I don't know what to do. We're gonna find the person that drove that car. Start filming. I'm Detective Fonnieri. I think you withheld information. That would be a very unprofessional thing for me to do. It would be murder. I want what you promised me. I want something people can't turn away from. 911, what's your emergency? We want all of it. Oh my God! I think Lou is inspiring all of us to reach a little higher. <laughs> Starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Renee Russo. This one surprised me. Why? Uh, I, I, I don't know. You, you tell me why it's here. I, I will. I'm just, I'm surprised. You're surprised. Um, <clears throat> this is one of the most morbid and fascinating character pieces I've ever seen. Um, put on screen. Jake Gyllenhaal is the most committed he's been to a role I'd say in the entire decade in this film. And he's the best that he's been in the decade in this film. The snarl of the smiles that he gives the, um, way that he meticulously practices and rehearses in the mirror, 
um, for how he's going to behave when he interacts with these people, um, the way that he races to get to a crime scene, um, the way that he goes into a crime scene while there's a crime happening in order to get the footage. It's just so brutal and so awesome. And, oh man, I, this is just one of those movies that you either, um, kind of hate or define like your type of film fandom. And I think that this defines my type of film fandom, which is, I just like really fucked up shit when it's really well performed. And that's what Dan and Jake did. I assume this is ahead of Velvet Buzzsaw for you. Yes, this is ahead of Velvet Buzzsaw. However, it is also ahead of uh, Roman J. Israel Esquire. You'd be surprised to know. What's the connection there? Dan Gilroy. Oh, really? He directed that? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know that. That's an obvious connection. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like right. it. On to number three. What is the number three best film of the decade, Michael? We're returning to Boyhood from Ooh, Richard Linklater. I like this movie. I, I understand you do mm-hmm. from just our last episode. Whoa. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with everything you already said about it. It's a monumental coming-of-age story. Um, I've seen it three times now. Still love it as much as ever. Um uh yeah I, I i like many things about it i i i've come to appreciate eller coltrane's performance more and more um i feel like when it first came out there was um deserved attention given to patricia arquette i think she won the oscar for it as well as ethan hawk um and i think eller coltrane is not capital a actorly in the same way um but i just completely adore how um, sort of introspective he uh, he is and and how kind of elusive what he makes of everything around him is um, something that's like one of the truths that this movie seems to get at for me is that like we grow and we change and yet at the same time we kind of stay the same mm-hmm. um, and you just I just really really get that through some of these expressions he gives the camera that when he's young really just suggest kind of curiosity and wonder like when he's watching his mom um meet a a new man but then through the years he's kind of giving us these same looks that just suggest some accrued wisdom even though he's not necessarily wise he does seem a bit more knowing like he's slowly figuring things out Mm -hmm. um and he might be slowly figuring out that nobody ever has everything all figured out um, which just feels particularly very... when Ethan Hawke tells him that like exact line. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, he asks Marcy. Ethan Hawke. Yeah, he says yeah. no one's ever got it all figured out. Yeah, yep. yeah, I guess that's right. Um, <coughs> especially Ethan Hawke's character. Um, yeah, I had forgotten like just how many times um, an older man is talking to him about responsibility. It's like at least four times um, that you know a guy whether it's a stepdad or a teacher or a boss saying you know you, you're gonna need to step up young man mm-hmm. you know you need to take responsibility um and it just gets something right in capturing his reaction to that 
which is sort of him not being sure what to do with it to me. Like he, there are some things about growing up that you don't know until you just do it. And yet people can't help but try and tell you what you need to prepare yourself for. Yeah. And he says, you know, I feel like I am trying, like I am doing my best. And yet, um, you know, the older generation can't help but want to try and, uh, prepare their kids and the kids, um, can only just wait in to some degree mm-hmm. and, and experience it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just the magic of watching, uh, a kid grow up on your, on your, on your movie screen. That's just great. It's just great stuff. Uh, boyhood. Love it. That's alchemy. If ever there was. That's right. What is your number three? My number three is a return to Christopher Nolan. Interstep. I'm not going to make it. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You might have to decide between seeing your children again and the future of the human race. We'll find a way that we always have. Starring Matthew McConaughey. Matt Damon, Jessica Chastain, Anne Hathaway, so many more, such as Robots, a water planet that is just one of the coolest things I've ever seen with my own two damn eyes. Um, Interstellar is a story about the space-time continuum and the fall of the planet earth to some climate change and i think that it's pretty well seen pretty well documented um it's nolan's rebuttal in many's opinion including mine to 2001 or not so much a rebuttal but an attempt to make something equal to um i think that he exceeded uh personally as someone who's not the biggest fan of 2001 a space odyssey Um, this is one of my favorite films of all time, one of my favorite science fiction films ever made, um, and something that I'd point anyone to that wonders about what exactly the magic of movies is. Um, this is movie magic explicitly. It shows you, um, love as a supernatural force that's equal to gravity. It shows you... Casey Affleck and Jessica Chastain. It just, it does all the movie magic stuff, man. It's this is why it's important to list cast members. I had totally forgotten Matt Damon was in this. I just think McConaughey. I think McConaughey and Anna Hathaway. Um, is he just a fellow astronaut? Who's Matt no, Damon in this? Um, Matt Damon is a villain in this. Is he really? Yeah, they, they discover him on a planet and he, he thinks that they can't actually succeed in the mission. So he tries to kill them and take the spaceship back to Earth so that he can save himself. I have only seen this once. That is vaguely coming back to me now. Okay. This is why we do it. This is why recaps are important. You should rewatch it. It is very, very, very good. It's a good movie. Um, it's Interstellar. Watch it. If you haven't seen it, watch it. If you've seen it, watch it. If you've watched it, watch it. There you go. All right, Michael, we're on to writer. Who was the best writer of the decade? 
my favorite writer of the decade, nope. or at least one the of them. Best. <laughs> the best. <laughs> if we must call it that, is Paul Thomas Anderson. I it, it pains me. It pains me to not include Phantom Thread on my list anywhere. It absolutely should be on there. It's just you know, just not everything can make the cut. And I just wanted to give love to another one that I haven't talked about yet. But Phantom Thread the, should be on here. Uh, I already talked about The Master. Um, I'm, and I'm actually a little cooler on the third movie he put out this decade, which is Inherent Vice. Um, but uh, those two movies um, are just towering for me um, as, as feats of distinctive writing. Um, yeah, there's... Uh, uh, no one else quite like uh, PTA for me. I'm going to keep it brief. Hot I just take. love those movies. What about you? Good call. Um, my favorite writer of the decade is Quentin Tarantino. This decade, he put out Django Unchained. He put out Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And my favorite screenplay of the decade, The Hateful Eight. Um, what can I say? He's Tarantino. He has no one to thank but himself because he wrote him himself. All right, Michael, what's your number two of the decade? My number two is a bit of a tie only because these two came out in the same year, Ooh, not because they have any relationship to each cheater. other. I know. It's just because I felt compelled to give a one of these dirty a dirty cheater. One I will keep very brief. The other one is the more uh, fitting choice for this list. Um, the, uh, the side mention here, if you want to call it a tie, I'll just call it a side mention, is Twin Peaks The Return, which came out in 2017, which is... Um, the Little closest... filmmaker, right? Small filmmaker? That's correct. His name is David Lynch. As he recently interrogated a monkey. He did. I like that short, by the way. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. This came out in the summer of 2017 on Showtime. Like far and away, not even close. That was my favorite piece of long form uh, television movie, whatever uh, of the decade. Um, and it was yeah, constantly surprising me. Um, the, the most one of maybe the most distinctive voice of the decade um i one i fully 100% love twin peaks the Reti- the the return um included on here partly just because you know as as is it is a list of the decade when i think about the big stories of the decade the like three big ones that come to mind are um the advent of streaming for one uh, uh, the dominance of franchises and established IP and MCU essentially and all Disney. that. Um, and then just this question of what is a movie? What is television? Do those definitions even matter? Um, I, I think this to me felt like a flashpoint for that conversation. It was just one of the very, very, very few things that were in the long form format that felt to me like that's, that's cinema that just, it just checked that box for me. Um, what else check that box i really can't name anything to be honest um really it is so far ahead of anything else i saw which to be fair i just don't watch that much television but like Like, you wouldn't say maniac was cinematic uh it's it is uh 
yeah, it's cinematic, but it doesn't mean it personally doesn't mean anything uh, to me in those same in the way that Twin Peaks does. Mm. Um, which yeah, it just feels like uh, that is um, uh, just just unique in a way that the Maniac isn't for me. Um, that you know, Twin Peaks is like breaking norms and conventions. You know, within every like couple minutes of every episode it just feels like it still feels like a miracle that it was put out by showtime um whereas maniac like i liked maniac a great deal it does feel like it fits in with a lot of miniseries of the decade it doesn't feel like it's off on its own planet literally like Twin well, Peaks. that's how david lynch now? feels yeah i didn't yeah. watch the return unfortunately Got it. um yeah. i started it and then didn't really know what to do mm. i think we were in an airplane and then we were outside of a spaceship from the airplane. And I just like turned it off and was like, okay, I'm going to get back to this when I have the bandwidth and that has not happened yet. So I'm still working on getting that bandwidth. Yeah. I, I mean, it still feels to me like when he's one of the very few practitioners of like through and through surrealism in film. I mean, I think, uh, um, blanking on the filmmaker who made holy motors which which feels like a similar kind mm-hmm. of cinema um I, I think other people are doing it but he still is kind of on his own like kind of on his own level um holy motors is definitely something i almost put on this list yeah so i kind of want to revisit i feel like i just i had a swing and a miss with it uh, but it's kind of my thing I'm like why didn't i connect with holy motors i, I kind of want to try again with that um but anyways that's kind of like my sidebar mention where i just mm-hmm. felt like compelled to call it twin peaks the return the return uh my actual pick for number two for feature films is the florida project okay i warned you one drip and you're out oh come on out now it's gonna melt outside it's melting inside too but bobby out thank you very much you're not welcome Arrested a lot. These are the rooms we're not supposed to go in. But let's go anyway. <laughs> Could you give us some change, please? The doctor said we have asthma and we gotta eat ice cream. Yeah. Why don't wait? Here you go. Uh, from Sean Baker, which is about a young single mother and her daughter living in a. Um, motel just outside of disneyland in and i Florida. thought it was about willem dafoe's hotel oh, it stars willem dafoe a magnificent willem dafoe as the manager of the hotel um i think when you hear about this movie you often hear about it um as a sort of uh look into the life of the so-called hidden homeless people who mm-hmm. um you know, live in something like a hotel, but don't have permanent housing. They have to move out once a month in order to, uh, you know, kind of follow the rules of essentially living in a hotel. Um, for me, it's kind of alongside boyhood and moonlight as one of the great, um, like movies about childhood of the decade. Um, one, I think it's just gloriously realized. I love the color and the camera work and the compositions and all of that, but, it still just feels incredible to me how it manages to celebrate this little girl's childhood um, while at the same time not um, 
uh, making it any easier to stomach how sort of um, far from ideal the situation is that she's growing up in and um, the uh, the hardship that she's essentially going to endure. Um, it's, you know, about poverty, but I don't think it's condescending in any way. It doesn't cast judgment on any of these people. Um, it just lets us observe this world and these um, people that cinema normally doesn't or often doesn't turn its eye towards. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the performance from uh, Brooklyn Prince as Mooney. Um, yeah, love it. It's Florida Project. It is. All right. My number two of the decade is a well-known film to most. It is George Miller's Mad Max Fury Road. As the world fell, each of us in our own way was broken. It was hard to know who was more crazy. Me. Or everyone else. Starring Tom Hardy, Charlize Theron, uh, Zoe Kravitz, right? Um, we got some other actresses, Riley Kiao. Um, I don't remember the other ones, unfortunately. One of them's in The Neon Demon, though. Um, A couple models, right? Yeah, maybe um. it's Abby Lee is the one from The Neon Demon. Um I don't know the other names, um, but it is rock and roll, man. That is a great way to put it. I like that. It is It is a race to the death. It is a race to where you started from. It is a war film uh, on the road. It is everything that is fun about cinema and incredible practical effects the best stunt work of the decade by a huge margin some of the most interesting action editing that i've ever seen in my entire life um from george miller's wife who he commissioned to edit it. And um, I've since learned it's one of the only uh, action films ever to be edited by a woman, which is part of what gives it that unique panache that it has. Um, I believe that um, Christopher Nolan's wife sometimes assists with editing, but that that would be one of the only other action filmmakers uh, with a female editor I can think of. Um, It is a film that was completely conceived of in concept art um, and story sides, uh, completely and thoroughly drawn out by Miller so that every single shot was meticulously prepared ahead of time as if it were a comic book that it was based on because he basically made a comic book for the shoot itself. So that it was a film instead of being written, it was a, a film that was drawn uh, in screenplay form. Um, it's, um a staggering achievement of art and one of the films that i think calls for a sequel more than any other from the decade any word on that decade i have not really kept up with the uh uh plans for the follow-up yes i i believe he's going to finish making a film that he's doing right now um 
with a pretty A-list cast. It's kind of just, it, it doesn't really seem like a George Miller movie. Um, after that, they'll get back on the Furiosa ride. And I'm not too sure if Tom Hardy's going to be returning as Max in that, or if they're just going to go with Furiosa. I'd be good with that. Yeah, either way. It's a good pick. All right. On to the number one director of the decade, Michael. Is it my turn? It sure is. It's PTA. It's Paul oh, Thomas boy. Anderson. Oh, boy. Surprise, surprise. Uh, yeah, I mean, just combined Phantom Thread the Master. I, I am just repeating myself now, but I, I, I love those movies. I just think he is, uh, yeah, top tier craftsman. Um, shot Phantom Thread himself, too. I just think the 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 craft combined with the, the spontaneity that these movies seem to have is just the mark of a of a truly great director um he's just one of my personal favorites period um i just think these uh movies have all i want from cinema i kind of want to try inherent vice again i just made the big dumb mistake of trying to follow that plot more closely than i think anyone ever should that is you know the kind of epitome of a ultra convoluted noir neo-noir um i definitely was working too hard at trying to figure that so one out so what you're supposed to do is drink like uh, a whole growler mm. watch under the silver lake drink another whole growler then start in heron vice yeah or or you eat a big plate of weed like josh brolin's character towards yes the end of the movie. <laughs> also might work i think that should go towards the beginning as like step one i was just trying to think about things you'd actually do <laughs> correct um but uh yeah i mean I uh I could have put Sean Baker on here as well for Tangerine, um, and the Florida Project, Lee Chang Dong, who we'll talk about in not too long. Um, uh, but yeah, PTA felt right for me. Who is your favorite director of the decade? My favorite director and arguably the best director of the entire decade is Christopher Nolan. He gave us The Dark Knight Rises. He gave us Interstellar. He gave us Dunkirk. He gave us Inception. All in a decade. All in a decade's work. Um, Yeah, I mean, just think about those cinematic single moments in Inception where cities go upside down and elevators leave to different planes of reality. Um, The Dark Knight Rises with the ice breaking and people trying to get away the bus going off joseph gordon levitt um trying to to rein in the detectives um or the rest of the police force to assist batman uh and hathaway's turn there um interstellar in the water planet dunkirk and the the many battles and beaches and the everything the everything um Essentially, everything you said about Paul Thomas Anderson um, applies oh, interesting. here for Christopher Nolan. Um, I just fucking love this guy, and he's my favorite filmmaker of the decade. More from him in not too long. Matter of months now. Yay. I like that. What is your number one film of the decade, Michael? I think I'm going to have a hard deck. I can't commit. No, I can commit. It is burning... Oh, 
내 부탁 하나만 들어줄래? 벤이라고 합니다. From 2018, from South Korean writer director Lee Chang Dong, who, yeah, as I just quickly mentioned, I definitely think is one of the best or one of my favorite directors of the decade. Um, his film Poetry came out in 2010, 2011. I love that movie. Also, if you're going by U.S. release date, Secret Sunshine had its U.S. release in 2010. I think the that's South what、Korean、we go date, by, right? That was, I think. Released in South Korea in 2007,、so、I think he's had three great movies this decade. But Burning is far and away my favorite.、Um, it's、uh, about a young man in Korea who is、uh, doing odd jobs,、um, not making a ton of money when he reconnects with the girl from his youth, who、uh, says、um, she vividly remembers him. He doesn't remember her quite so well. They start hanging out. He develops a bit of a thing for her. They hook up. It's a little undefined what they are exactly.、Um, and then he goes jogging past greenhouses for like an hour. That is a decent, maybe fifteen minutes, I would say. Nah.、Um, she goes on a trip to Africa and returns、um, with another man, played by Stephen Yun,、um, who is a. A、uh, much wealthier young man has a kind of vague aura of mystery about him. What he even does is a bit unclear.、Um, and shortly thereafter, this、uh, young woman goes missing, and it kind of just turns into a, a thriller of sorts, but kind of a slow burn. I hate. Why did I say that? Because that just sounds like a stupid pun now. But it is kind of a slow burn thriller.、Mm-hmm. Um, and in which the cat. Holds all the answers. There is a、uh, mysterious cat named Boyle, who sometimes is around, sometimes is not.、Um, I, Or is he around? I I, I don't know. There, there's just <laughs> more to dig into there.、Um, yeah, I just think it uh, uh, utilizes ambiguity in exactly the ways I love movies in in the way movies can.、Um, And it's、uh, just riveting filmmaking. The camera work, the performances,、um, the score, and it's, it's partly about money and class. And this guy kind of having、um, anger and envy towards this mysteriously wealthy guy who's almost seeming kind of bored with his wealth.、Um, but it's also just about. For me, that kind of longing to find meaning in things. The、um, uh, female protagonist talks about the group of people she's going to visit in Africa and this culture that distinguishes between what they call little hunger and big hunger. Little hunger being, you know, your need for food, your little, your literal hunger, and then big hunger being your your need for fulfillment. And I, I think that the movie kind of runs with that idea in some very Uh, meaningful ways for me,、um, and、uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just、uh, poetic and mysterious and gripping, and、uh, I, I, I love it. It's burning. What is your favorite movie of the decade? My favorite movie of the decade also starts a little bit on fire. It's a little bit burning, if you will. It is Darren Aronofsky's mother. All I'm trying to do is bring life into this house. 
Open the door to new people, new ideas. I'm so sorry. Get out of my house! You give and you give and you give. It's just never enough. Starring Jennifer Lawrence, Javier Bardem, and Kristen Wiig. Great supporting role. This is uh, a film of of multiple different meanings and and I suppose multitudes would be the the correct word here. Um, It is one of the most highly debated um, films about what exactly the meaning is. Um, And that is part of the reason I love it. The other reasons are it's a thriller that is expertly shot with a tremendous pace. Um, It has a background in um, the Old Testament that is super delicious, but is also super contemporary in which Ed Harris and um, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer play um, two biblical characters, uh, Adam and Eve, who are also you know, behaving as if they're contemporary people, um, with sexual desires and children who are, um, committing murder against one another and sinks are being sat on and Jennifer Lawrence is painting homes and we think there's something going on under the house and a baby is, uh, born and, uh, some heads roll, we'll say, um, there's an incursion by um, the police and the military, and there's gunfire and war and famine and hunger, and um, it is, oh, I'm, I'm so excited just talking about it and thinking about it. This is um, my favorite film of the decade, and I had no expectation that it would be that when I walked into the theater to see it the first time. Um, I believe there was one other person in there besides me, and I saw it like two weeks after it had premiered because I heard it was leaving, and I, I thought that, oh, I should go see this Aronofsky movie while it's still out. Um, I think I'd just gotten my. Or no, I hadn't yet gotten my, um, what was that card called? The movie pass. Oh, these were movie pass days. Yeah, it hadn't yet arrived. Um, so I went on a Tuesday, $5 AMC Tuesday. I was one of two people in the entire theater. And um, boy, by the end, I was completely won over. I proceeded to see the film three more times in theaters. Uh, my movie pass card arrived the next day. And I saw it, I think, that day, the following day, and the day after. Um, Whoa, love it. I love this movie. Um, I encourage everyone to watch it. Javier Bardem is incredible, and Jennifer Lawrence puts on the performance of her career. Yeah, I isn't it isn't it Kristen Wiig's character who at one point, like during the like chaos of things is like executing uh-huh. prisoners or something like That's that right. i still think about that all the time um, and her animal prints uh pantsuit yeah yeah i love michelle pfeiffer in that movie she's great she's delicious yeah, yeah. and then domino gleason's in there 
Is that right? Why do I not remember him? I remember Ed Harris. What, who is Domino Gleason? Oh, yeah. He's one of the sons. Yep. Yeah. Right, yep. right, right. That's a pretty good movie. It's a very good movie. All right. That's the best of the decade, Michael. On to 2020. 2020s. Here we come. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant. And that's another one in the can.